what organization doesn't need, you know, 90 minutes to stop and say, here's why we're here. Here's why we love this. Exactly. Even if you didn't do anything with it, that would be valuable because all we do is talk about problems. Right. Because we have to. Well, and then, like you said, the fact that their employees go back and they're energized and they're more positive yep. about about the work that they're doing and the contribution that they're making to the organization and to the community that they serve, that's mm -hmm. going to be a positive right there for the organization because people are going to notice that. Imagine how your life and business would look if both were aligned with your purpose. You would find clarity and confidence in decision-making, set boundaries to keep you focused, and take intentional actions which move you closer to achieving personal and professional goals. Your host, Amy Austin, is a successful entrepreneur, coach, speaker, and brand strategist. With marketing and branding experience spanning over 20 years for service industries such as healthcare, software, and entertainment, Amy guides you and your business towards uncovering your purpose and the true foundation of your brand and brings it to life in marketing strategies that educate, engage, and empower. The Pursuit of Purpose explores how to put your unique purpose to work, building an authentic and successful service-driven brand. Each week, Amy will bring you practical advice to help you live your life and grow your business with purpose. Appreciative inquiry was a new term for me prior to my discussions with Stacy. It's a research methodology that just has so many possibilities, and it's rooted in the idea of finding what's good in your organization and appreciating it. Stacy Jones is a market research consultant in central Arkansas who has worked with regional and national organizations on custom research studies to provide the foundation of comprehensive and targeted communication campaigns. Her consultancy, Aerial Strategic Communications, celebrated its 10th anniversary in March of 2019. And her research has been used for award-winning and effective campaigns by nonprofits, universities, health systems, retail, educational, transportation, and professional organizations, among others. She holds a Master's of Science in Communication Management from Syracuse University and a Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the University of Central Arkansas, along with her bachelor's degree in elementary education and English from Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. She's an adjunct professor at UCA and a published novelist who likes to travel and run marathons and half marathons. She lives in Conway, Arkansas with her retired medievalist husband and four dogs. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right. So my guest today is Stacy Jones. Um, full disclosure, Stacy and I know each other from high school, but we reconnected recently over the idea of appreciative inquiry and how we can use that in terms of connecting with our purpose or the business's purpose and how it influences culture in, in the organization. So Stacy, thank you so much for being my guest today. My pleasure. So can you tell me a little bit about what is appreciative inquiry? Because I had not heard the term, but as you and I talked about it in our previous discussion, I'm very well aware of how it works. Sure. So appreciative inquiry um, comes from organizational development circles. A lot of organizations will use appreciative inquiry to discern their mission, vision statements, et cetera. So it's a way of going out to the involved very positive, engaged stakeholders and asking them 
about the aspects of the organization that energize them, that keep them engaged, that give them life, so to speak, in the organization. And it's a rigorous research approach to finding out what motivates people in your organization and the brand that they deliver and, and how to keep that um, engaged stakeholder right. set going forward. So when does an organization, at what point do they come to you and say, I feel like we need to get back in touch with like kind of where are they at? Okay. You know, what, what are they trying to accomplish when they want to, when they want to get re back in touch with their mission, vision, values, or maybe they don't even have them identified yet? Yeah, it can be a number of different circumstances. A lot of times I work with agents, advertising, marketing, PR agencies that use this approach to, um, to inform branding. So a number of times the ad agency will come to me and say, we have a new client, we're developing branding for them, so we want to start with research. And this is the research methodology that is really, I, I say it's an elegant methodology because it it's just so clear and, and it's so positive for the participants. So some of the time that will be the way that it occurs is just the agency says, we're, we're doing branding and we want the research and we want an outside party to do that research so we know that it's authentic. So it's a way of capturing a brand um, rather than creating one from outside. Other times organizations will want this methodology when they are going through change and maybe getting a new building, maybe they've merged with another organization, maybe they are doing some kind of internal branding, or maybe they've had something traumatic layoffs maybe, or changes in leadership. And it's interesting because that's a really good time to do this, is to find out what keeps people moving forward because they might be surrounded by a lot of negativity, doubt, concern distrust. And at those times, some of those organizations will say to me, well, I don't think it's a good time to do a positive group because, you know, everybody's really upset right now. And then I say, it's a really good time to do it because they are steeped in the negative and there are good things that are happening here. Let's take 90 minutes and talk to them and let them tell us what those good things are so that we can make a concerted effort to remind them of those things. And sometimes, as you say, people do it for the to develop a mission, vision statement. I've done them for companies that are going through that process and they want to hear from their stakeholders about what are the things that motivate them. Because as I say about culture, culture isn't something that you get. It's something that you have. And you can't just roll out the culture. I hear that a lot. What you need to do is understand the positive aspects of your culture and the values that engage your best, most positive, most valued employees. Understand that and learn how to articulate it so you can attract more people like the people that you value most. Right. So when you pull together a cohort to talk to, they are the people that are most like what you want to have more of in the organization, right? Isn't that what you told me? Yes. And so... When we think of 
a traditional focus group, say a consumer focus group. We recruit those by um, demographic traits, you know, men or women, people age 25 to 34, making X money, having this much education, et cetera, or psychographic traits. Like they like to go to movies. They like to go to farmer's markets or, you know, those kinds of things. But when you recruit for appreciative inquiry, it's not done in that way. You do want to have people who represent different constituencies based on what your focus is for the research. But the most important thing is getting those cheerleaders in the room, the people that, as I said, you want more of, the people who are really living the positive aspects of the organization and delivering on a, on a brand promise that you're proud of as an organization. Those are the people you really want to talk to because they are examples and they demonstrate those good things on a day-to-day basis. And when you do have that and you can use that information from a recruiting standpoint, the hope then is that you're able to find more of those same types of individuals so that you just keep building a more positive culture and and, and a, a workforce then that really exemplifies who you are as an organization. Yes, exactly. And those themes that you find out that you discern through the appreciative inquiry research are going to resonate with people like the people that you value most, right? So if you're doing, when you're doing internal communications with the results of appreciative inquiry, then you have people that, you know, your own people are saying, yes, we do that. Instead of that kind of employee backlash against a culture that you roll out, which I'm doing air quotes right now, where they're like, great, that's what they say we are this time. Next year, it'll be something else. Whereas with appreciative inquiry, since it's based on the actual lived values of the organization, when you start communicating based on those themes and those motivators, it resonates with the people um, in your organization and they can see the reality of it. So that's a, a wonderful aspect of it. But then, as you say, when you communicate based on those themes externally, that's going to resonate with people that are going to be attracted to your authentic values and the way you live those values in in your work. And that's not gonna that's gonna benefit not only in recruitment but also in market share because those people who who want to align or appreciate what your brand is about are going to be more inclined to come and use your product or service, whichever it happens to be. Exactly. And and it is a way for organizations to come together around those shared values and you know um, companies nonprofits etc they use those for internal communications to get people to back maybe a new branding campaign or you know and when I say brand one of the things that I think we talked about this before is for me I always think of the brand as the promise that you are keeping to your constituents whether those are internal or external. And you have a brand because there is a promise that you are keeping. It may not be the one that you think you're keeping or want to keep, but it is. And if you're not managing that brand, then it is out there, it exists, and people are experiencing that for good or ill. So appreciative inquiry can help you discern what that promise is that you are keeping to your stakeholders and how to articulate 
that promise and also to help motivate more people within your organization to deliver on the positive side of that promise. So is there a benefit of doing this type of, of research with a group of consumer audience as well? I, there, there can be. And the caution with that is that it, they need to be engaged enough that they can um, articulate those positive aspects and that they have one of the things we talk about in the groups are anecdotes of when you felt proud to be involved with the organization. So they need to be engaged enough to have those stories to tell and to share. But I've done, say, for a university, I've done university appreciative inquiries before, and, you know, you can have as many groups as as you have time and, and funding for. And for universities, I've done faculty, staff, so those are internal, you know, mm-hmm. organizations or stakeholder groups, but then also students, non-traditional students, alumni. So those are more external, right? And right. They're, they're starting to go into that kind of consumer yeah. user base right. audience as opposed to the truly internal employee base. Right. The people delivering the, the service the, and then also donors. So they're kind of both because they're internal enough, they're donors, they're investing literally in the organization, but they're not running the organization. You know, they don't go to work there every day. So it can really span a number of boundaries. And I've definitely done those with the kind of what you might consider external groups. One of the things that I talk about when clients are deciding how to impanel the groups is that participants talk more when they're with people like them. So if you want to have a number of groups, then it's better to segment them by their relationship to the organization. Not necessarily that, you know, you have a group of women and you have a group of 20-year-olds. Not in that way, but as I said for the university example, staff are a good group to have together because they have a similar relationship to the organization versus faculty who have a different relationship to the organization because of the authority with which they're endowed as faculty members, you know, so it, it can go that way. But, but if you don't have a lot of time and resources, you can do two groups and you can kind of, you know, populate them with people from different areas of the organization. One thing though, to be cautious about that I am pretty careful with is that you don't want anybody in the group with, someone who has authority over them in terms of their salary, their job roles, et cetera, because what you really want is for the participants to say what they really value, not what they think they're supposed to say that they value. Right. If you had somebody who, who was in some way a superior, they may fear some kind of retribution or retaliation back if they said something that doesn't align with what they wanted them to say or what they felt they should say. Right. And one of the promises that I make to the participants, obviously the organization has recruited them because I I can't recruit. I need the organization to do it because they know who those people are that they want in the group for their, their past investment and demonstration of those values. But I tell the group members, I don't share my transcript with the leadership. I don't name you in the report. They obviously know who you are. I try to take any identifying details out of your variable quotes if I quote you word for word because I want them to concentrate on what you said and not be distracted by who said what. So that is something I don't share the audio file, nothing. So it has a level of confidentiality, you know, if you use that word kind of liberally. 
I want to make sure that participants know exactly how the information is used so that they can decide what they'll share with me. But a key part of that is that there's no leadership in, you know, nobody over them in the group so that they're not editing in that way. And another thing I tell them often is that someone usually cries in appreciative inquiry. <laughs> um, sometimes it's me. Um, sometimes it's the transcriptionist after she sends the, the transcripts back to me and says, oh, my goodness, these people are amazing. And it's because even though it's positive, you know, our work means a lot to us. And when we talk about times when we, when we value the organization or when we feel valued, those things are very moving. And you might not think that you'd cry at a banking appreciative inquiry, but you'd be surprised. There's some amazing stories and obviously healthcare, which you know a great deal about. It always, it used to surprise me now, I'm kind of used to it, but some of the times that, that the staff in hospitals will talk about as meaning the most of them are when there was a, a bad outcome. And actually patients will talk about that as well. Like, in a group of patients for appreciative inquiry for a hospital, there might be a bad outcome for their family member, but they felt so taken care of by the hospital or the health system that that's the time that comes to mind yeah. when they talk about living the values of the organization. And it's incredibly moving. And when you, and then you also know this is real. This is really something that we can we can build on and go forward in terms of our communications and how we talk about ourselves to ourselves as well as to external um, groups of people. Yeah, no, and you're right. I've seen that a number of times in healthcare when, when something that goes not the way they'd hoped, it, mm -hmm. it's amazing how they all kind of just rally around each other because they as providers also are feeling that, that pain but also yeah. how they're able to uplift the family and those that are, are touched by the situation in some way. Yeah. And it, as I said, it's very, very moving. Um, and I don't, sometimes I don't know if, if we get those kinds of comments in a more traditional meeting with, you know, an internal leader or an internal facilitator, or as I said, if their boss is in the room. So that's, that's an important aspect of it. And one thing also that's important that's related to that is a lot of times organizations will have a leadership group because they, you know, they can't be in somebody else's group and they want to participate. And what I find with those is those are less valuable. They're not, they're not meaningless. And it's important to do them, especially if that group wants their voices heard. But the, the higher up you go in the leadership, the more they say the currently articulated values of the organization and they're not lying they just are living it so much that's what comes to mind for them whereas the people that are more maybe um, consumer facing or you know maybe delivery drivers or you know technicians etc their stories are going to be richer and more um, explicit and more kind of out away from those typically articulated slogans. So right, speak. right. Because they live a different um, aspect of the company. They'll talk a lot more about the customer and how good it feels to help the consumer or the patient or the student because they're doing that and they're delivering that brand. When I first started working in 
hospital marketing departments, I always kind of resisted the idea of rolling a big campaign out to employees first because I, I was like, let's just get it out the door. We need to get it out there. They'll see it in the same way as what everybody else will. But being involved with my mom's care as much as what I was and spending as much time as what I did in a hospital on the other side and seeing how how involved the frontline staff are and and how they needed to have that understanding and that buy-in, I have a much mm-hmm. greater awareness and appreciation of why that's important that yeah. I didn't, yeah that I didn't understand. I always did it, but in the back of my mind, I always thought, <laughs> oh, this just seems like an extra layer of stuff that we shouldn't have to, that we have to do. You know, it's just another thing yeah. to put on the checklist. But I think now, in retrospect. You know, if, if I was going, if I could go back in time and, and roll those campaigns out again, I'd probably even do mm-hmm. it differently than what I did then, you know, sure. and, well, and spend more it time explaining it to the staff and getting their buy-in on it and, and making sure that they felt good about it. That's another aspect of appreciative inquiry, which is, as you, it is another layer, but that is that before you even, you know, explain it to the staff, you're asking them. Appreciative inquiry methodology is very standardized, so I don't even know how many I've done in, since 2005 when I started doing them, but it's a very standardized methodology, but everybody's results are always unique because organizations are, you know, individuals. They are influenced by the individual people within that organization, by their histories, by their markets, all those things. So we can do the same thing every time and we get different results every time. Right. So tell me a little bit about what what does that standardized approach look like? Is it the okay. same set of questions that you ask each time or is it how you approach them? It's both. I usually ask participants to reserve two hours because I don't want anybody to leave early. Because um, sometimes if they get really talkative, it can take that long. But it's usually about 90 minutes or less. And the first thing they do is fill out a worksheet and they do that on their own. That helps with uh, mitigating any strong personalities in the room. You know, if you ask a open-ended question and somebody answers right away, it can direct your thoughts in that direction um, and keep you maybe from thinking things that are different from what the group starts talking about. So they fill out a worksheet. The worksheet always has four questions on it about that involve their um, best experiences within the organization, what they value about their work there, what they think the organization contributes to them personally and professionally, as well as to the communities that it serves. And then after they're done filling out the worksheets, I give the little orientation talk, and then we talk about their answers. So then we are working in a group. So the group, I don't like them to be bigger than 14 people because then the individuals don't have time to elaborate much on their answers. And fewer than seven or eight, has a kind of chilling effect on participants. They start to feel self-conscious because there aren't many people in the room. So they, you know, they don't want to talk as much. So that's a good group size to keep in mind. And then we talk as a group about all the answers to their questions. And that usually, the worksheets really help there because I can, some of the questions I go around the room on, some of them we just have a more casual discussion. But um, if it kind of goes in one direction, I might say, you know, hey, Jane, what did you write down on your sheet? And then because they've written it down, they have kind of permission to say something different than the group is saying. Or I often have people say, oh my gosh, you know, I agree with what everybody's saying, but I wrote down something totally different. And then my ears really 
perk up because then I'm like, oh, what did you say? Because that means I'll get something a little richer, more nuanced response. After they have the big talk, I divide them into groups of two or three in which they are asked to identify the top positive defining attributes of the organization in a group and they have to agree on those attributes. They can't each one think of one. Then each group shares their attributes and then they go back into individual prioritization exercises. I have two that I do. You could do that in different ways. I, I just do these two because they work they work for me where they they vote on them and they also do a kind of ranking or um, prioritizing grid and then they're done. So it's pretty straightforward, as I said, and it's always, that's how it always goes. Sometimes for people who I, you know, it's very hard to get more than an hour with them, like positions, I might just stick to the discussion area just to get them to talk rather than doing some of the worksheet stuff because they're, you know, their time is just really hard to, hard to get. So um, we modify it. Sometimes a client will have some questions they might want at the end. That's something I'm really delicate about because one of the indirect positive aspects of appreciative inquiry is when the participants leave, they're really revved up, they're very energized, they're really focused. They go back to their areas and they, they're positive. They're telling people around them that they feel good about their company again. And so you don't want to put a lot of questions on the back end that are going to mitigate that because you want them to have that good feeling. You want to take that time and let them leave with that that's how it how it goes and um this is one of the only this is the only research methodology i do and i do several where people thank me for Mm -hmm. letting them participate and that's really moving to me as well sometimes people hug me which is i'm not really a hugger but (laughs) (laughs) i mean i can't deny it feels good and you know what organization doesn't need you know 90 minutes to stop and say here's why we're here Here's why we love this. Exactly. Even if you didn't do anything with it, that would be valuable because all we do is talk about problems. Right. Because we have to. Well, and then, like you said, the fact that their employees go back and they're energized and they're more positive yep. about, about the work that they're doing and the contribution that they're making to the organization and to the community that they serve, that's mm-hmm. going to be a positive right there for the organization because people are going to notice that. Absolutely. You know, and who knows how long that carries over beyond when this, you know, when they've participated in one of your discussions. Well, and I recently did one for a professional organization and the woman who coordinated the group was in a, it was at a conference they had. So they had a lot of their board members there. So the board had an appreciative inquiry session with me. And she told me later that she saw them later that day, all of the participants that she saw were still really revved up. And really, and they and they were starting to generate ideas among themselves for other things they could do to help the organization. And and she said that it was just wonderful to see that. So I, you know, I have this firsthand account of somebody who witnessed that side right. effect, so to speak. And it was well, really good to hear. And that has to make you feel better about the work that yeah. you're doing too. I mean, sure. it's and, lifting you up at the same time. Yeah, and that's one reason I say that I, if I won the lottery, I would still do appreciative inquiry because, you know, if I didn't have, have to work, so to speak, I would still do this methodology because it matters and it makes such a difference for people and, and their work life. And I mean, 
that's one of the questions, you know, is how, what does this organization contribute to your professional life? But I always tell the participants, you can, you can move that into the personal because I don't know how to separate those. We are at work so much of the time that right. any contribution to our professional life is a personal contribution to us. So exactly. don't feel like you have to talk about your work or credentials or things like that. If it's, if it's a more on the more personal side in terms of family or whatever, please share that because that, that matters. Exactly. So one of the examples that you shared with me, Stacy, when we talked before was about an organization that was getting ready to move to a new location. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that started to come out of what was important to the employees about the location that they were moving from and mm-hmm. to keep those things in mind going forward as they were developing this new location. And that, that yeah. struck me as another interesting time to be able to bring this type of methodology into play. If your organization is looking at moving a significant portion of their business or maybe their, even their entire business to really evaluate what's important about where they're at right now and how can yes. you carry that through into the new location. Yes, and it really is an interesting aspect of it because that's a specific kind of physical thing that organizations go through and they, they certainly do, you know, healthcare might have additional clinics or they, you know, those kinds of things or just a new facility. I think the broader foundation of that that makes appreciative inquiry valuable for everybody is that anytime you're going through change, whether it's location, physical change, or maybe it's, as I said, leadership, merging, et cetera, sometimes you're, you're, you're going through that change because you have problems to solve, right? You're not, it's not big enough or you're not located where you need to be, et cetera. But if you just focus on the problems that you're solving, you can get from point A to point B and find yourself at point B without the good things that kept your people there before. So it's important to stop and say, these are the good things. I want to make sure that when I arrive at the new place, the new era that those things come to right or if they don't I understand why they aren't coming with us because you know I mean we all have had this the law of inadvertent consequences you solve a problem and find out you've created five more exactly if you're making a big change or even you know kind of little functional changes with your organization and you don't stop to say, what do I need to make sure continues after this, you know, in the new, in the new era, then you might not be continuing the things that keep your people, the people that you really value there. And, and they might say, well, you know, I'm, this isn't the place I loved. I'm going to go find that place somewhere else. Exactly. Well, and it also gives you the opportunity then to be able to, like, if something can't stay the same, and you're right. in leadership, it helps you to understand what is it that you need to be able to communicate back to your staff as to why this is changing and, right. and speak to it from a point of empathy. We understand that this aspect of, of our business, of our work, is something that you are all very vested in and it's all very meaningful to you. But because of mm-hmm. these three points, these are why mm-hmm. we can't continue to do it this way or right. in the same location and and right. you would think or you would hope anyway that it might help smooth that transition and help right. those employees feel a little bit more vested in 
one, they paid attention to what I was, to what you yeah. is feeling very, you know, that we're passionate about. They've addressed it. They've thought about it and they've come to a conclusion that hopefully is going to be the best for our organization going forward. Right. Or even a thing that you could do is say exactly what you said. We know that you value this and thank you for sharing that with us. We can't live that value this way anymore because of A, B, and C, but why don't we work together to find another way to live that value? Yeah. And that's even more, you know, inclusive and keeps everybody engaged in that way. I mean, one of the axioms of research is don't ask people about something if you're not going to do something about the things they say. It's better never to ask. So that's one thing I counsel a lot on surveys is, okay, are you going to do something about this? Because if you're not going to change anything, asking is very bad because it makes those people that you surveyed think you're going to change. Right. So don't just take the temperature to take the temperature because, I mean, you can't not communicate. Even a survey communicates. If you're not going to make a change about something, don't ask them about something. So, and that is a responsibility that goes on anybody who conducts research even with a positive methodology like appreciative inquiry. So if you find out that there's a value that exists within that organization that motivates your most engaged stakeholders and you can't continue living that value in that way, you need to just at the minimum address it. These are grown-ups, you know. Exactly. <laughs> they come to work, yeah, they're right. grown-ups. They don't get everything they want. You know, they understand that, but just be upfront about it. And maybe, as I said, there's a way to go forward in a new direction that still will appeal to people on that level, even if it's not the same way externally or, you know, not the same features. You know, and I also think that this could be really good for if an organization has done a survey like this and you have your summary report and you get new leadership coming on board, sharing that survey results with that new person could really help onboard them in a way that is probably more Mm -hmm. impactful. Yep, it really is. And I actually have a meeting coming up in the next few weeks where I'm sharing recent appreciative inquiry with a new CEO. You know, it's it's recent enough that it's still valid and it's a it's a great way for that person to understand the existing culture. So you just said it's still valid. How long do you think a survey like this stays relevant in an organization? Is it, you know, what's the longevity of it? Well, um, or is that too hard of a question to answer? I don't know. There's probably a number of contingencies. It's, it's qualitative research. So I would say, um, you know, for, for, for actual, you know, quantitative surveys, we usually say, especially if you do a baseline survey, like around a branding campaign, you do it before the campaign, then you do it maybe when the campaign's winding up. So you have a situational thing that you're bookending with those surveys. For qualitative, I would say, as long as you perceive that the culture is, the organization is behaving in a similar way, it hasn't had any major changes, hasn't had any huge personnel shifts, then it's probably still applicable. But if you get major location change, merger, branding changes, employee shifts, and that doesn't necessarily just mean C-suite people that can be influential people at, you know, different levels who were people that you kind of relied on to rally the troops and move people forward. If you get a shift at that level, you might want to say, okay, this group needs another, we need another assessment there. 
that's a great question. I have not been asked that before, but I would say it's contingent on the environment, the situation within the organization. And if anybody's perceiving, okay, this is kind of a big change, maybe we should take this temperature again, or at least have one more group just to see. I've been fortunate enough that I've gotten to do um, kind of appreciative inquiries. I did a Fortune 500 transportation company, and I did just one employee group all over the country. And then a couple of years later, I did multiple employee groups, you know, different kinds of employees, including that original one, but then others, you know, more different areas of the company, marketing, et cetera. And I was able to see that it was still, their values had stayed very steady. And that was a wonderful opportunity just for me, selfishly, personally, to see that the methodology is reliable and that, you know, I had one group of employees tell me that these were their values. And then later on, I had groups from all over the company tell me that those were their values as well. And it was really rewarding, personally. Well, and that also speaks to the quality of culture that that, that mm-hmm. transportation company has built, especially when they're all in, you know, very different locations. Yes. You know, because yes. that... And different could, job roles. Super yeah. difficult to to maintain that if you've got somebody who's in the, the center of the country and you have people who are on the coasts and all up and down the coast and through the middle of the country all over, but they mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. one in two, three, four people at any given location, right? bring them all back to that same core values. That That's, that's impressive yeah. for that company. It, yeah. And it made me feel really proud of them and the work that they do and the way they do organize around those shared values at at all these different levels. And it is another way that you can use this methodology is to test how fragmented or how strong your company values are. So if you do, for instance, like a university where you have student staff, non-traditional students, alumni, donors, um, faculty, and you can compare and contrast the results of each group, then you can see, do you have a strong, do you have strong values, shared values in this organization? Is everybody talking about similar things? Of course, they're going to have different things because they experience the organization differently. But at the heart of it, are they talking about the same things? And that's a strong culture, right? Right. Share those values throughout. Otherwise, you might find it broader or more fragmented. And that maybe isn't what you necessarily want to hear, but it's good to know. Because exactly. if that's true, then you need to communicate differently. And if you want that more shared values, you're going to have to find ways to live those values, not just tell them, live those values in right. those different areas. Right. It's like a, another consultant around in my area that I work with frequently, and he says, cultures should, or your values should not be, just be words on a wall. No. You have to live them. You can put them up all the time, but that's not what they are. Employees look at what they know, what they observe, and they pay a lot more attention to that than what they, you know, any kind of rollout or, or formal communications. Right. They they know, they know who gets promoted. They know who gets perks. They know how the company spends its resources and time and money. Yeah. They know what the values are. Yeah, you, you don't want them all day long. You don't want them walking by that wall with the values on it and having them roll their eyes at it when they go nope. by. <laughs> you really don't. And that's, you know, that's one of the aspects of appreciative inquiry, which is once you can ascertain those values from the inside, you're starting with your, you know, your core community. And then they are engaged and energized by that. You don't have to worry about that, that eye rolling. 
because then when they see those communications out in external audiences, they're more likely to say, yeah, I'm really, I'm proud of my company. Uh, we do that. Right. That's what we value. They're going to take that message and spread it externally in a way yeah. that those in the marketing and communications areas of the organization are not ever going to be able to do. Exactly. That's exactly right. I started us off by saying that this is something that's similar to things that I do, and I had I didn't know that there was a formalized practice to it, but, but when I start working with a client on identifying aspects of their brand, I will sit down and talk with each member of their of their organization if that's possible. It's interesting when I've done that, I'll ask them questions like, you know, if if your company was a person standing in front of you, how would you describe them? What adjectives would you use? to describe mm-hmm. them as, as a person. With one company that I did that with, it was all very aligned with the exception of like three people. Mm-hmm. When I was done and I was wrapping this up, I was thinking to myself, these three people really shouldn't be at this organization. Yeah. You know, they, they just don't fit. Right. And, and that's one of the things we say with appreciative inquiry too is, you know, because the client will say, well, am I not skewing the results? Yes, you are. You're skewing them toward this positive, these positive findings that are authentic, but they're not going to be, not every employee is going to be like this. You can't do anything about that, except, you know, once you discern those values and start living them in more ways and communicating about them in more ways, those people that are just, you know, punching in and punching out, uh, maybe complaining, they may either self-select out or there might be a more, it might be a more clarity in how you work with those people within the organization. So if there was, there was something that you wanted to say just to kind of wrap up the benefit of appreciative inquiry, what would that be? I go back to what I said previously, which is we deal with problems all the time. We go into meetings and we come out with less energy than we had before because we're at a deficit and we're just, we're just trying to get level. And appreciative inquiry is 90 minutes to two hours of identifying the good things, the reason that we wanted to work with this organization in the first place or be aligned with it in any way as a stakeholder, and identifying those things, being explicit about the good things. And we all need that from time to time because we deal so much with problems and it is so exhausting. does so much good to move an organization forward because you can create opportunities for yourself once you understand fully the good that keeps you there and the good that the organization does on a day-to-day basis. Stacy, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciated your time. It was fun. I'm happy that we were able to reconnect and have yeah. this conversation. So it, it was wonderful. It's, I love to talk about it, as you can tell. I, I really believe in it and I've seen it work. Thank you so much. Thank you. As I've worked on wrapping this episode up through the editing process, I've had to listen to our conversation multiple times. And each time I have been struck by a new quote or a new point that Stacy makes about the quality of appreciative inquiry, not only understanding what the culture of an organization is, but how it can permeate out and help those who are being served by the organization. The time that we spent talking about how appreciative inquiry can really impact the morale of, of individuals 
as they're working, you know, that that they're excited when they're finished with this type of research study and they're thanking her for being part of it. And they go back out into the into their day-to-day working and they're excited and more energized. Or that anecdote that she shared about the professional organization who did this with their board members, the recharge of enthusiasm that came from just talking about the good that your organization does. And being reminded of that again can have such far-reaching implications, positive implications, throughout everything that you're doing. This, to me, is something that every organization should consider at some point. It really gets you back in touch with what it is you're doing, how you're doing it, and most importantly, why you're doing it. And that, of course, is all rooted in the purpose of your organization. Have a great week. If you liked this conversation, please take a moment to rate it and review it on your podcast player of choice. Share it with others that you know that you think would benefit from also hearing this information. And leave me a comment, either on my Facebook page or in the reviews. I I read them and it helps me know that people are taking something away from this conversation that I'm sharing with you. And if you'd like to get updates of when new episodes are coming out and some background information about what we're talking about and even sometimes a little bit of things, a few things that I don't share in the podcast, make sure you sign up for my newsletter. It's delivered once a week when the new episode comes out. I don't bombard you with anything else, I promise. But it is a great way for us to keep in touch. And if you have ideas for future conversations that you'd like me to cover or someone you think I should speak to because you just know that we would have a great conversation over one's purpose or the intentionality in the work that they do, I'd love to hear that as well. Have a great week. Make it purposeful. And enjoy your day. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. For show notes, links, and more, go to www.amyaustinmarketing.com. You can subscribe to the show and leave a rating review on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening.